0: Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn so that in today's accelerated world we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, Learning Specialist Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. the start of the 2020 global pandemic teachers around the world have experienced a drastically different way of teaching. It has certainly been a challenging and often chaotic time, but there are also many valuable lessons that can be taken from this experience which can improve teaching and learning in the long run. My guest has worked for many years with students and teachers in drastically different contexts around the world, I'm happy to have her join me to discuss what we can take away from this extraordinary experience of teaching in a global pandemic. Anika Rana is a solution-focused global education entrepreneur and consultant with more than 30 years of success across technology, innovation, and global education. Anika has worked with teachers from around the world and in a variety of contexts to help them improve their teaching. Her entrepreneurial projects include franchising an after-school learning center in Colorado, founding a tutoring center in Dubai, launching a hybrid after-school learning center in Iraq, piloting a hybrid teacher professional development program in rural Pakistan, and developing a digital school community center concept for rural Morocco. Thank you, Anika, for joining me.
1: Well, thank you so much, Kinga, for having me.
0: Before we jump into a very timely topic that you've seen in different contexts around the world, tell me a little bit more about the type of work that you do.
1: The type of work that I really do is towards my vision for education. And that vision is to really help the students, help them discover their inner passions, unleash their hidden potential, and equip them with the skills, competencies, and the tools necessary to really create a positive impact in the world around them. And in service of this vision, I found that, you know, we have to work with the educators to build their capacities, to be able to transform their teaching and learning practices. And in all of the projects that I've done in Iraq, in Pakistan, Morocco, and now more recently we're working in Kenya, is that we really work at the grassroots to co-create with the teachers, helping them to broaden their knowledge base and guide them to create solutions within their own context. And the levers for change, we use design thinking, guide them through an understanding framework, and then help them use technology to augment their practice.
0: Wonderful. And you definitely do your work in very different contexts globally. Some of them in underfunded, some of them in very well-funded schools and different contexts. You have a very global perspective on the field.
1: You know, we we have worked in different areas, but there is a commonality. My process is in three parts. First, we prepare the teachers for transformation. Mm -hmm. You know, acknowledging and recognizing that transformation happens when we help them change their mindsets. And oftentimes we find that, you know, we also have to expose them to what a 21st century learning environment looks like. What are the competencies and skills that we uh, that we need to help them develop? So it's an unlearning process in the beginning. And then we take them introduced to backward design, which starts with the goal in mind first and then designing from there. And then the last thing we do is to integrate technology because Technology is there in service of learning for deeper understandings. Technology is not the innovation. It's how we use it.
0: That's really good. That's such an important point, isn't it? That the technology really comes last. It's how yes. you use it. It's what you use it for. And it's the learning that's at the center. So that's that's really fantastic. And we'll delve into that more as we discuss a situation that has really taken over globally all aspects of teaching And that has been the pandemic, most schools around the world having to go online. So what are the key challenges that you have seen face during this year of online teaching? What are some of the uniting themes?
1: Well, there's many, but I think those that really rose to the surface were that teachers were unprepared for really conducting online training. I mean, I'm, I know in the early days of the pandemic, I, along with everybody else who could help, you know, I conducted online training for teachers on how to use Zoom for teaching online, mm-hmm. um, how to use WhatsApp, and you know, curating online educational tools to help them with the process. So you know, remote learning frameworks and strategies were something that the teachers really had a lot of challenges with. And of course, you know, teacher preparedness for online teaching and learning. There were some, I mean, again, it depended on the schools mm-hmm. uh, on how the teachers had been trained and had been using technology, but they were wearing levels of training. Some teachers, had never used technology before and others were, and a small number were already experts. But in between, there was a lot of trauma and tension around this whole online learning and teaching. The third thing we struggled with was student engagement. Again, which leads back to teachers not being prepared. A lot of times, you know, teachers literally just took their lectures online. They took their school schedules online. So kids were sitting in front of the computers the whole day long. And so, you know, they experienced Zoom fatigue and lack of engagement, because there was just passive learning as they watched videos or read documents, et cetera. And again, the social emotional aspect of learning was missing. The challenges of connecting with the students, um, you know, we couldn't replicate the hallway interactions or the physical presence in in the classroom, the bodily cues, et cetera. And then lastly, of course, access to technology. Not everybody had internet access. Not everybody had computers or, or tablets or whatnot. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, some of some education was conducted on smartphones or radio or television.
0: So you had to be very innovative in how you got the lessons out and how you connected students.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And again, I would I'd, I'd take it back to teacher preparedness, mm-hmm. because if we had prepared the teachers to enable them to use technology in different ways, I think there would have been a there would have been less anxiety and they would have been able to manage better with whatever they had.
0: Right. Absolutely. Do you think because, of course, a big part of the use of technology, one part you said is the technical teaching teachers how to use it technically. But the other part is how do you use it for teaching? So do you think it was more challenging the technical aspect or the pedagogical?
1: I would go with pedagogical at this point. I mean, technology, I mean, you know, you can learn how to use the technology that is available to you. But how are we going to use it in a pedagogically sound way where we make that education um, engaging and interesting?
0: Absolutely. And was there a theme of what aspects of the pedagogy teachers would have wanted knowledge on the most prior to this pandemic and they didn't have that they would have really benefited from? I mean, there's a whole list of different aspects that were difficult, but is there something that maybe united them all in what was challenging?
1: I think in the beginning, it was about social presence. They missed, and students as well, missed the social interaction of being physically present. Yeah,
0: the community of the classroom.
1: The community of the classroom. Right. And I think that was the biggest challenge that they struggled with. For online learning, we worked with the community of inquiry model that you're also familiar with, (laughs) right? Yes. You know, where where we have a social presence and then the teacher presence and then the learning but I think the teacher presence and social presence were the ones that were missed the most. The learning came after.
0: So what do you think are some of the lessons that have been learned from this experience? I mean, we can talk about the different challenges for a very long time, and there, were, mm-hmm. there definitely are so, so many. But what do you think some of the key lessons are?
1: Okay, I'm going to divide them into just three. Okay. right? I mean, of course, there's many, but lessons that teachers have learned, the education ministries and school districts, and from the perspectives of parents. As far as teachers, they realized they had the realization that digital skills are an essential element in their toolkit. And in being able to understand digital technologies better, they'll have more opportunities for personalization of their learning, uh, which will help them to help remedial kids support children at different levels, meet students where they are. For education ministries and school districts, the same thing. Technology is an integral and a part of the process of teaching and learning. And from their perspectives, you know, they could use technology in many ways. And one way would be to really provide teacher professional development at scale, mm-hmm. which is direly needed. And also realizing that, you know, in areas where we didn't have an internet structure that the role that TV and radio have played have been really important in the education process.
0: Mm, We sometimes forget about the old technologies
1: and skip
0: to new technologies. But if you put learning at the center, then a lot of very old technologies do the job better because if you don't have access to stable internet, actually a radio
1: or a a television is ideal. Well, we had a lot of education ministries put up recordings of lessons right away. Mm -hmm. And depending on, you know, in rural areas or low socioeconomic areas, even using um, smartphones, you know, teachers were able to use the recordings Mm -hmm. and send them to the students. But then again, I fall right back on pedagogical models in being able to use these resources, right? These are all resources that we use in order to design the learning. right, And that's where we really need a lot of training in designing the learning. And then finally with parents, parents understood that they really needed to work jointly with the schools in the education process because education also, a lot of the education happens at home. One thing they realized, I think there was a more appreciation for teachers and a recognition of what they do and mm-hmm. realization how demanding and challenging their job is.
0: Yes, absolutely. Isn't it? I mean, it's, it's definitely been a a very unique situation where parents really had the opportunity to peek in on the classrooms. Mm -hmm. Teachers had the that experience of the parents critiquing what is happening in the classroom, but also realizing, actually, it's really, really hard what uh, what teachers are doing. It's an it's interesting kind of new relationship, maybe, that is coming out of it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, realizing that education is a social experience, you know, mm-hmm. where we work together in that creative process of learning.
0: Exactly. And that's such an important point, because I think so often when you talk about the lessons for education ministries and, and school districts, often... The policies and those who make the policies jump to rolling out technology as a mass form of faster, better education. Absolutely. But the social aspect of it is such a huge part of learning that, in fact, especially at the, at the school age children, you take that out and you lose everything. And that is a really, really important point, isn't it? To yes. at that because yes, we can use technology better. And mm-hmm. now we've been shown that we can use it in different ways and maybe people are more comfortable with it. But Absolutely. having that social element. And so where do you find that balance, do you think? What what would you suggest to ministries in finding a balance between using more technology, but also maintaining the social aspect?
1: I think ministers of education must realize that knowledge is in service of education, right? As I've said before, yeah. the social aspect, perhaps I would say would be more important because within a social, it, the work and life that we live today is all about socialization and socialization could be physical it could be on social medias but it is all about working and living together and sharing ideas we have to be able to communicate and collaborate with each other in order to innovate i think socialization is more important than pushing technology and one thing i really want to say is i think we all have come to realize that we cannot replace the teacher with ai
0: yes absolutely (laughs) That is a very, very important lesson that hopefully a lot of people have taken away. And I like the fact what you said, using technology actually for, to train teachers more, something that I think is underused in mm. in terms of being able to, on a mass scale, put out really good and and frequent professional development.
1: Absolutely.
0: So there's definitely not been that much time for teachers and school leaders. And policymakers to reflect a lot it's been a very an emergency situation and there's been very little time to reflect on the lessons we take away and how do we move forward so are there any lessons that you think should be learned and maybe are not yet discussed
1: i think there has they may have been discussed but i'm not sure how quickly we're going to be able to act on it Mm -hmm. and that is the equity gaps and i think we all realized that they existed in more spaces than we had hoped for, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about school quality, the digital divide, and also the realization that all uh, education happens at home as well. Mm-hmm. So let me talk a little bit about school quality. Across the world and within countries as well, the quality of learning was dependent on the socioeconomic status. Um, This was also true before the pandemic, but the situation was exacerbated during the pandemic. Some better resource schools were able to quickly provide classes online and their teachers had training, but in other schools and other areas, teachers had no training or very little training and it was a real struggle. And then also, according to the World Bank, some 30 countries were able to implement multi-platform strategies using online, TV, radio, social networks to reach as many students as possible. But then again, we had a lot of varying success. They were able to quickly provide some of these resources, but again, the quality of how they're being used were, again, dependent on the educators. With the digital divide, there was varying access to connectivity, hardware and software. Some homes had internet access, some schools had internet access, others didn't. Even in high income countries like the US, some children had access to a device, others didn't. Mm -hmm. So it was all very varying. And again, we talk about the shortfall in uh, teacher digital skills. And then finally, with education happening at home, not all children have stable homes with educated or motiv- motivated parents who can help them yeah. or parents that are at home to be to provide that support. Some parents work two, three you know, jobs and they're unable to give that attention. Um, not all children had books or spaces to work at home. Again, connectivity or a computer device. So yeah. there are... Various aspects that we need to pay more attention to.
0: Absolutely. I mean, they're they're very important issues. And we often think of inequity in terms of not having the devices. But Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important point that you bring up, that there are many countries and many areas that implemented multifaceted technologies to help this transition, and yet they weren't necessarily successful mm-hmm. because it's the teacher training that is so critical and often overlooked. It's not, you know, one device per child doesn't solve the problem absolutely. at all.
1: Absolutely. It can it make not. it much
0: worse, actually. I, it,
1: it, you're right. It can, mm-hmm. absolutely.
0: And the learning spaces, I mean, something that we don't often talk about, uh, both in schools and in the workplace, that Actually, you can't necessarily always learn anywhere, anytime, because as you said, some homes don't have the space, they're not stable, there's conflict, a whole array of different issues. So having that community.
1: Yeah, the community and that, you know, a productive learning environment.
0: Exactly. Which teachers, of course, facilitate.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. So in your view, what is the silver lining for education because of the pandemic? Like, what are the opportunities? We can go on and on talking about the many, many challenges, and there certainly are. But what, what do you think is the silver lining here?
1: I think the silver lining is we're able to use technology in education
0: more broadly Mm, because people were thrown in the deep end, you mean? And- they were
1: thrown in the deep end. And, you know, even the more cascitrant teachers and educators had to use it. So everybody was exposed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've now established a baseline that, all right, technology is here to stay and we're going to learn how to use it. So, and, you know, technology in education is a great, it has the potential to be a great equalizer. Definitely. And we have also realized that tech alone will not replace the teacher. It will only augment their effectiveness. And also we've started using learning management systems, putting all content online where children can learn asynchronously given the course materials in a learning management system and how the teachers would, would design it. We've also, we create a lot of rich learning data that we can use to personalize education. And from within that we're, we'll be able to develop more innovative innovative solutions that would that would emerge from being able to use learning management systems more
0: effectively. Have you seen good examples of how that data was used? Because of course we hear about and we see the collection of enormous amounts of data and again it's about how you use it. So can you think of maybe some examples where it's been used very effectively during this time?
1: It has the potential to be used effectively. Mm-hmm. I don't have an example where it might have been mm-hmm. at the moment.
0: But what do you um, think they, people should consider when using this and in, in well, making it?
1: I mean, something as simple as if we have a student who, oh, so so there's a unit that uh, you've designed on the LMS and the student is working through, and within that unit, you've designed assessments, mm-hmm. right? Short quizzes, or essays, or or whatnot. And at the end, you, you know, the student hasn't performed well. Mm-hmm. Say, there's a quiz, and the student hasn't performed well. Well, I mean, the data, simple data, as far as how long did the student spend going through the materials? Did they even? And after the quiz, did they go back to revise it? So, the, just the, the log file data that tells you time spent on materials, what the student looked at, what the student didn't look at, gives us a little bit more pointed insight into how the student learned.
0: Yes. Right? Absolutely.
1: So, you know, it'll be able to tell us that the student didn't, didn't review the material at all and went straight into the quiz, mm-hmm. or it'll tell us that. Oh, they spent an ample amount of time, but they didn't understand it. Yeah. So, in both of these scenarios, the teacher would approach that learning differently.
0: Right. Absolutely. That's really good. And so, these opportunities we have been thrown into the deep end. Technology has been used a lot more. We've seen that teachers, for anyone who didn't have an appreciation for all the hard hard work that they do, that has come to light more. There's certainly great opportunities that have flourished out of it. So how do you think that these opportunities provide a springboard to teach 21st century skills?
1: That is a great question. Well, for one thing, well, let's define what 21st century looks like Mm -hmm. first. And I find myself, you know, using the OECD Learning Compass 2030 that they've developed. And that basically divides learning in two ways. First, we work with the core foundations, which is developing the foundation literacy on how students really apply core skills to everyday tasks. And core skills are like literacy, numeracy, communication, technology, developing content, and transformative competencies are how students approach complex challenges. And that's about critical thinking, problem solving, creativity, communication, collaboration, and that includes your character qualities on how students approach their environments in general. And that's about, you know, their curiosity, grit, leadership, social and cultural awareness. And the learning compass puts the student in the middle. The student is in the middle, enabling the student to lead their learning. And it's a compass because the student finds it their own path and encapsulated. it within this foundational and core skills with we look at the socialization of agency where students work with their peers with their teachers with communities within the whole environment which is what we saw during the pandemic we're working with communities they had grandparents tutoring they were working with mentors companies Uh, college students, everyone was helping in the education process. And that's really what 21st century learning is all about. The children develop their core skills because content is what you think with, and then the socialization of the learning after that.
0: That's great. So doing this in schools, it's a complex process, but how do you think we can do this in school as well as in informal learning? So what are, what are the ways that you think we're coming out of this emergency situation we can actually implement these well?
1: Well, you know, so these are ideas that I work with as I work with teachers, and everyone works within their different contexts. But I think it's taking the different aspects of learning and creating a, a modular learning environment where we're designing for flexibility and variability, where educators can contextualize the learning for their environment.
0: So what does that mean to dig into that a little bit more, to dig into the modular aspect of it? You mean breaking down into clear modules, the lesson plans. How do you see this? What do you think is important about it?
1: It's about designing the learning. So first we we can take the core foundations because they're the mental building blocks and we can develop the disciplines of literacy, numeracy, science... Developing content and will have the, a learning management system handle all of that content. Can the learning management system can deliver and manage the instructional content? We can design assessments of the learning goals. We're able to track progress, collect and monitor data, and these are all things that the teacher is in control of, of course. And the teacher has designed the learning, so the content and can be asynchronously designed on the learning management system. And and this can be demonstrated by look at uh, Khan Academy. We can learn all the math on Khan Academy. and And then there's a lot of other tools out there for learning English, for learning science. I mean, there are tons of resources online to acquire content. So a teacher can design that process on a learning management system and work with students in that way. And then the second part of the modular design would be working with foundational competencies. And that is actually using the core skills that you've learned in more of an interdisciplinary manner where we can connect our learning to real life applications. And in here, we can work with project-based learning where teachers have designed projects amongst themselves with mentors within the communities We can work with phenomena-based learning, where we're actually exploring real-life phenomena, experiential learning, or it could be a combination of those. So basically, the second modularization of learning would be designing these experiences. So the two main components are acquiring content, and second is related to real life. And we can design environments using these two modules by creating learning pods or micro schools or innovative schools. So I'm working with this designing for Kenya. We're working in a rural school. In this rural area, it's a farming community. So we're gonna work with, of course, uh, getting all the information we need online and then working within the farming communities on creating projects or working with farmers, working with the shopkeepers in that context to learn more about where you are, about Mm. your environment, and how you as a student and an educator can improve the environment that you're in.
0: Yes, it's an important way of applying your learning.
1: Exactly. So if we can kind of modularize everything, we can fit the pieces in how it makes sense to us.
0: Mm. Absolutely. It's such an important point to raise that Although this is a fantastic way of using technology, first and foremost, teachers need to be given the tools, not just technical tools, but the knowledge and the time to reflect, learn, and actually create these. Absolutely, Learning management systems often fail because it takes a lot of time to create the content for it, and people need to be given that time to do. But this is a wonderful way of learning, absolutely. And so... As we talk about technology and the the use of technology in learning, there's certainly the mobility aspect of it, which we have seen during the pandemic, where you can learn from home, you can learn from all different locations. However, learning anywhere, anytime has its challenges. How should students be prepared to learn with modern technologies so that they can really develop skills and competencies to thrive in the anywhere, anytime learning?
1: That's a great question. I think it's about developing student voice and agency. You know, we know we've learned during the pandemic that the learning environment really influences the student agency, you know, whether they're motivated to learn or not. So if we create that environment where students are motivated to learn and they're defining their learning objectives and they can decide what and how they want to learn, it really empowers them, It really motivates them to really want to learn how to learn. This also influences their lives very positively. And the important part of student agency is reflection as well. So reflection is not only for the educators, but also for students. This is where they make meaning of what they have learned. And once they make that meaning, it moves them from this one experience into more of a deeper understanding of all the relationships and the connections with all the experiences and ideas that they've had.
0: Yes, that's such an important thing. Reflection is a a key part of learning. And again, teaching people how to do it Mm -hmm. and giving them the opportunity and time to do it is absolutely critical to dig a little bit further into giving students agency and their desire to learn because they choose maybe the topic of how they're going to be applying the learning. What have you found to be successful ways of still, once they do have agency and taught strategies, what do you think are some of the key important ways of keeping them on track? Because of course, MOOCs are mainly for adults. And we've seen that although they are completely willingly going into a MOOC, and even paying for it, most people don't complete it. A very, very significant number of people don't complete a MOOC. So how do you help students who are still developing, how do you help them to really stay on track? What are some strategies?
1: I don't think this, it's just, there's just one strategy. Again, it's about learning the student about their environment. But I think one of the most important things that we can help students with is really relate their learning to their real life. Because a lot of learning currently happens in silos, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's passive learning. A lot of times you will hear students question that, how am I going to apply this in real life? What does it matter to me? But if we're able to to really link that learning to real life, I think it helps them be more agentive. And this is about reading the news, taking something from the news and, and discussing it, writing about it. And also it's about creating a portfolio of learning as opposed to studying for standardized exams. Mm-hmm. So through the course of the, uh, the year, you know, students can be working towards a capstone project of their interest and create a portfolio as they, you know, this their research. They may have created a podcast and give them choice. Give them choice on how they want to make their learning visible. Because everyone is different. Some people may want to act it out. Some students may want to write about it. Some students may want to create a podcast. Again, technology has given us so many options, allowing us to really show our creativity in more ways than one. And we need to be able to empower students to be able to use that.
0: And so what are some of the important considerations that teachers should have in making these new ways of learning a success? What would you recommend?
1: I think it's about reimagining their roles from being experts, content experts, to being facilitators. And what I think about when I think about this is think about yourself as a conductor. You know, you're conducting a symphony with many moving parts. And if we're able to create that design, that symphony is going to make beautiful music. And so that's what we are, you know, as educators more conducting music rather than teaching content facilitating, coaching, creating, enabling.
0: What have you seen maybe some of the more challenging aspects of doing that, that maybe teachers should focus on? Because it's not an easy thing to do that. So what have you found maybe the roadblocks that people should focus on to to be able to have more of a conducting role?
1: It's about empowerment and training, really. Building teachers' capacities to realize that they're able to do this, to kind of help them unlearn the old way of teaching where they're the content experts and move them towards more in a facilitation role. And this is really about changing mindsets. And it takes time. It's not a one-off training. It's not a two-day PD or a week PD. It takes time. I mean, I work with the teachers for six months and more, and we really start training with working with their mindsets, convincing them, really convincing them, hey, you know what, perhaps this is the way to go. And so it's a process. A- and that's why when we use technology to train teachers, with we can do it at a longer term. For example, I, we design content where teachers work asynchronously and within their peer groups, within their schools, and we meet with them maybe once a week online or, t- or twice a month just depending on what they're working through. Mm -hmm. But it's all about them taking their content and kind of reflecting amongst themselves within their environments. And like I said, it's a process.
0: And so you've referred to this being a shift in the mindset and you have developed a model to empower teachers to transform their practice to 21st century. Can you tell me about this model?
1: Yes. So again, in this model, we work in three phases. We prepare the teacher for transformation. I think I mentioned this earlier, where we're recognizing that we have to help them with the uh, mindset change. Then we introduce the backward design and then we integrate technology. So these are the three basic steps. Mm -hmm. Now, how we actually work with this, we've created these courses hosted on a learning management system. And on a weekly basis, the teachers overview the weekly topic, they look at the specific learning objectives, then they work on the course materials, And then we have weekly discussions where teachers process the materials amongst themselves. And then we have guided opportunities to where they relate and apply their learning to their context immediately. So they can take that learning and use it right away. So that adds the motivation that, okay, we're actually creating what we create, we're going to be able to use. And then we provide them opportunities to give and receive feedback. And in each one of the contexts, we work with the train-the-trainer model. And every, in every space that I have worked with, there's always one or two teachers who will rise to the surface. And they're the ones that we work more closely with so that they can work with the other
0: teachers as well. Mm, fantastic. So you identify champions mm-hmm. that they themselves... Go and exactly. Teach further. Wonderful. And so what do the teachers come away with?
1: We hope that they come away with a shared purpose and commitment where the most important thing for me was that they shift away from working in silos and start working together and they also look I mean not only their peers but with students and other educator oh. partners as partners in their learning and then being able to use the data to identify achievement challenges working within the LMS learning the LMS, learning how to create on the LMS, learning how to use some of that data, and then um, actively engaging with all stakeholders, bringing in parents and the community in which they're in.
0: That is really good. And this is a hybrid model. So that means that some of it is happening online and some of it is happening in person. Mm -hmm. uh, So synchronous and asynchronous in preparing the teachers for this transformation, you are really not only showing the tools, that they would also use in teaching them the technicalities, but also the pedagogy and yes. of how to form that. Do you also work with the leaders of the schools? Because you said you're teaching teachers how to work together and not in silos, but often a huge roadblock to that is simply the time in the day and the scheduling of teachers. Yes. Do you work with leaders?
1: Absolutely. And that's key. We have to work with the leader uh, leaders because they are the ones that will enable us to work Mm -hmm. efficiently with the teachers and through experience you know I learned this through experience right (laughs) that the leaders have to be on board they're the ones that are going to enable us give us the the teachers the schedules the time the Mm -hmm. space and the technology to work with you know if we haven't organized a time that two hours every day after school teachers will have the time away from all that they have to do at school to really focus on learning And that every Friday, we're going to set up the time where you're going to be online with the coach to further your learning. All that is
0: important.
1: And it also lets the teacher know that the leaders are working with us and that this is important.
0: Yes, uh, that's, that's definitely a very important point. So what is the key advice that you would have for teachers and school leaders after the experience of this past year and a half?
1: I would I would say that, you know, let's build on what we have learned. Let's not put that on a bag shelf and say, okay, we're done with this pandemic and let's go back to doing it the old way. Let's let's figure out, hey, we have done a lot of learning and a lot of positives have come out of this. Let's move forward mm-hmm. with this. And you know what? How would we prepare for the next pandemic? You know, what are we gonna do? I mean, we don't want to be caught off guard like we were this time. How do we continue to prepare and improve?
0: And and so where do we go from here? Like, what are some of the practical steps that you think should be taken?
1: I think practicality is focusing on providing connectivity. I think that's where we should start heading to because we have realized that the better connected schools were able to provide more quality to their students. And of course, connectivity and teacher development very important, very important.
0: Absolutely. That is huge. And so what are the exciting projects that are next for you? What are you continuing to work on? Well,
1: you know, I've mentioned Kenya right now. So that's what we're working on. Right now, I'm actually designing the program. And an interesting about Kenya, Mm -hmm. the project, the school that we're working on, it was really part of a project that the Ministry of Education in Kenya, It was part of, and what Kenya did was they provided a lot of their schools with computers and tablets. Mm -hmm. They provided it to their public primary schools. However, what we discovered was that in many of these schools, these devices have been sitting unused in boxes. Mm. The teacher said that they had, they, though they had gotten some training, it wasn't enough and they didn't know what to do with it. You know, so I go back to the point of, You have the technology, but if you don't know what to do with it, it's just going to sit there. And this is exactly the case. So we're going into this school. We've already taken out the laptops and the tablets, and now we're designing a program around them. What's holding us back right now is connectivity. We're trying to get internet to the school so that we can start working with them.
0: Sounds really interesting, and I'm sure it will be a wonderful, exciting development, and as you said, you know the, the the tablets were sitting in boxes in the classroom. And I think maybe some people would be surprised to know that that happens around the world in yes. highly funded schools as well as in very mm-hmm. low funded schools. And even if it's not physically in boxes, sometimes it's just not really used to its potential because we come back to exactly what you said: the training. Training of the teachers, giving the time, giving the support, which is so critical. So lots of really interesting points and insights that you shared, which I, I really appreciate. But before we end, I like to ask everyone for a recommendation, something that you find interesting, inspiring to read or watch in this space.
1: Well, I am reading two books currently. So I'm going to give you those. One is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Mm, Great book. And I really like this book because it helps you, your willingness to step up and put yourself out there and Mm -hmm. you're leaning into the courage. And I feel that this is what we're helping our teachers with. And the other one is getting more. It's about how uh, getting more, how you can negotiate to succeed in Work and Life by Stuart Diamond. Mm -hmm. And it's all about developing those uh, negotiation skills in every day, negotiating with your students, negotiating with your kids, negotiating (laughs) with your leaders, or negotiating in these big deals, I don't know, but it gives you really usable uh, skills on negotiation.
0: that sounds interesting it is definitely a very very important skill well thank you so much anika for sharing your insights and knowledge in this global perspective and the themes that are certainly common around the world coming out of this pandemic and how online schooling was experienced there's a lot to learn and reflect on so thank you very much for sharing that with me well
1: thank you so much kinga for having me